Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. I would like to welcome Christy Orndorff to the podcast today. Christy is a pediatric palliative care nurse with over 30 years of experience. And not only does she do amazing work in the hospital setting with families going through some really tough circumstances with their children, but also grieving families. Her work extends to her family's farm in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. It's called Valley View Farm. And there they raise Belgian draft horses. And they also have a barn that they converted into a venue. So they host weddings and anniversaries and celebrations of life. And much of that money that they receive um, for using the barn goes to fund a bereavement group called Butterfly Angels. So we're going to talk all about um, the farm and Butterfly Angels. And for those of you who are grieving healthcare providers, I'm going to take this opportunity to tap into some of Christy's experiences and find out recommendations she has if you have a trigger at work or you're having a challenging conversation with your spouse or something like that. So welcome, Christy. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Amy. I am uh, very delighted and excited to be with you today and really just you know, to be able to share a little bit of uh, my experience uh, with families and hope that paying some of that forward will help some of your listeners today. Well, thank you so much. Why don't we just start with your family farm and Valley View Farm and the venue that you have there and all the work that you and your family have done over the years? So our farm um, has uh, several acres. We probably have combined uh, somewhere around 500 acres and we've been raising Belgian draft horses. My husband and his family have for like five generations. And so we have had a working farm and stay very busy. We currently have 50 to 60-ish horses currently on the farm. So it definitely is very much a working farm. Um, but it was a farm that we really also wanted to look at other ways of kind of being able to, to give back. Um, so several years ago, back in 2013 into 2014, uh, a, a, um, a colleague and good friend, uh, Josh Dower, had we had talked together about being able to create a space on the farm where we could do additional programming for uh, families that were experiencing loss and also to be able to do some fundraising uh, for them as well. So we began in 2014 
renovating uh, the original barn that was on our farm. We had other barns that we were using to house the horses. So this barn just really had had some, some storage, but it was a space that we could look at renovating. Uh, that barn was on the farm when my husband's great-grandparents moved there in 1905. So we believe the barn was built somewhere around the turn of the century. So it was really just kind of taking it back to its roots and creating a space that we could do this additional programming. So we started that process in 2014. Josh had had a, a friend whose daughter was really, really wanting to get married on the farm. Southwest PA was just the perfect spot for her. And so we began conversations and ultimately held her wedding in the fall of 2014. So the, the barn was um, not like it looks now. We did some additions to it, but we uh, started then after that, the, the snowball effect of being able to hold wedding events on the farm began to happen. People saw the wedding happening, and so our phones started to ring, and over the next couple years, um, we did a handful of weddings on the farm and realized that it was the events and the weddings that could really help us move this vision forward for families. And I know you mentioned the Butterfly Angels, which is a nonprofit organization that is so very near and dear to our hearts. Um, it was started by a set of parents, Bob and Elizabeth Schultz, who had a stillborn daughter, McKinley, back in um, March of 2013. And so I was very blessed to have met McKinley and have met their family. And they started later in the year with continued conversations. They decided to start a nonprofit called Butterfly Angels, the McKinley Ann Foundation, that would ultimately provide support to families who were experiencing the loss of a child, but also to support them from a financial standpoint, that any funds that they would raise would help with funeral costs and headstone costs and bereavement resources and just all those kind of, kinds of things. So as the barn began to grow from an event standpoint, we realized that um, those two things for me kind of came together. And so I realized it's these events that can really kind of push this vision forward. So 10% of everything that happens on the farm goes directly back into Butterfly Angels. And we've been able to do various events where we're just able to open up the doors. You know, I, I tell folks, clearly it is, it is definitely a business. It's a way for us, uh, if you are in the farming industry, you know you have to look at creative ways to maintain your farm. Um, so it absolutely is a business and it's absolutely a way that I hope my children will be able to continue uh, in, agri in agriculture and in the farming industry, but it's also a way um, to be able to kind of give back 
And so it allows us to be able to just open the doors and invite families in who have experienced loss, whether that's through a celebration of life service or, you know, we've done um, some funeral services, um, but it mostly it's been a place for families to just gather. We've done several butterfly angel type events, um, you know, a Mother's Day for bereaved Mother's Day. Uh, a lot of people don't know that there is such a, a, a day uh, for bereaved moms, but we've been able to over the last few years do a very non-structured day where we have people come and there's, um, you know, oils and massage therapists and um, as yourself participating in this event to be able to do some guided imagery and, and yoga and a craft and just be able to kind of share. So we've been able to do that. We've held several remembrance services there. And um, again, just a place for people to be able to, to gather. For anyone who's been at the farm and been at the barn, there's a stained glass piece that's in the very front that is very special, came together in, in really an amazing way. And it is a stained glass piece that has a dove and olive branch, which represents hope and peace and new beginnings. And in the top part of the glass is a monarch butterfly and the little chrysalis, which represents the life transitions that we see our families go through, that we all go through life. You know, sometimes it feels dark and isolating, like being in the cocoon. But, you know, very quickly we realize that we really can be beautiful on the other side. So this stained glass is in the front of the barn and it represents the vision of the barn. It's the purpose of the barn. And I always hope during these other events, if there are guests who are struggling, who maybe just have a lot kind of going on in their own life, maybe having their own personal losses or just anything that maybe when they leave, they feel a little lighter and maybe they don't really understand the why, but I hope the atmosphere and the purpose there creates that and really kind of creates more of a vision of peace for people. Being that I've been in your state and I have experienced what that feels like it is absolutely amazing. And your desire to capture that feeling has definitely been felt. And it is for anybody who is thinking about having, you know, event in your space, there is no doubt that they will feel that it is absolutely magical. And we've had some guests, I'll never forget, we had a pastor, this has probably been three, maybe three years ago, uh, a young pastor who officiated the wedding and he was um, just finished dinner and I was kind of cleaning up the table um, kind of in work mode. And he said to me, you know, he said, this is really a beautiful place. And I said, thank you. And he said, what do you do here? And I said, oh, I said, you know, we have weddings. We have, you know, sometimes people do birthday parties or reunions. And he said, no, that's not what I'm asking. He said, what else do you do here? And I just kind of pulled up a chair and sat down and I kind of began to share the vision with him. And I said, I said to him at the end of that, I said, how did you know? And he said, I knew the feeling in this place. He said, there was just such a God presence. He said, I knew that this space was more than just for things like 
today. And it really touched my heart to hear that because we work hard to try to create that space. And, and um, certainly we want folks to have a good time when they're there, but, but I always do hope that people get a different feeling uh, when they leave. So, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for all that you and your family are doing and to Elizabeth and her um, and her husband's vision for Butterfly Angels because the tremendous amount of time and energy that they have poured into that organization is just truly remarkable, just an amazing resource for people in the area. Yeah, and I always say it's not a club that you want to belong to, but if you do, it is absolutely an amazing group of parents and families who have come together to support each other. And, you know, we have seen moms and dads who come in and they touch different events. We've had families who come to every single event. Um, and I just think that it meets such a need. You know, I know we've talked in the past, there's not a lot of support groups out there specifically for child loss and specifically for perinatal loss. You know, you can find groups uh, and there's a lot of good programs out there. You can find groups who are supporting folks who've lost a spouse or a parent or a grandparent. And, and all of those are absolutely um, need supported. And, and there's a lot of grief that comes, but when you've lost a child, it's just different. And it's really hard to sit in the same group. So I've been so blessed and so honored to be a part of Butterfly Angels. Um, and there's been a couple other groups beginning to kind of to kind of pop up. I know there's another group, Embracing Invisible Wings out of Clarksburg, that really does a lot of things together as well. And they're very perinatal focused. Um, so there are some smaller ones starting to kind of come along, but it's really hard to find. And so I've been blessed, um, with the families that I've met, but I've absolutely been blessed with butterfly angels for sure. And seeing those families kind of come together in the space that they create really allows opportunity. And there are moms in dads in that group that their losses span over years. Um, actually at our, at our bereaved mother's day event that we just had a couple weeks ago, one of the young moms who was present, um, her loss had just happened a few weeks prior. And one of her take backs from that was that she was able to be around other mothers whose losses were 13, 15, 20 years. And she could see that their emotion was still there, that 20 years later, tears still come and that that's okay. And that they are still upright and they're still and they can still laugh and they can still be a part of a group that just brings them peace and comfort. And so I, I think it was a realization that grief doesn't end because I think in society we've become where we want to put people on a timeline because we want people to feel better. We want people to be happy. And 
the truth is, is that there's not an end to grief. It doesn't have an end time. It's not like if I get to this many months or this many years that, that it's going to just be okay. And, and I read a book, um, I'm actually still kind of reading it. It's called, it's okay to not be okay. Yes. I have it right on my shelf. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And it's really giving people permission to stay like, it's okay to not be okay. And so I think when you bring people together is when those kinds of topics come out and people realize like, gosh, I've been carrying this and you know, plus there's milestones for people. I think in bringing parents together, they can also see like, oh my gosh, this is really like, I can anticipate that when my child would be five, that we would be going to kindergarten and maybe the fifth year is going to be harder than the last two. And I also makes me think of a, a mom to share a quick story. Her loss, actually, I met her at one of the very first bereaved Mother's Days that we did. And her loss at that point had been, I think, maybe 19 years, something along those lines. And she said, like, she was so happy to be there because she didn't know she could celebrate Mother's Day. She didn't have other children. And she didn't realize, like, I could really celebrate Mother's Day. Like, it's okay to do that. So she came back every year and when her daughter would have been 21, she said like, she just was really struggling, like really, really struggling. She said, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's something else going on, but I just feel like this is really hard. I'm anticipating her birthday and this is just really, really hard. So we talked a lot about like, what does 21 mean, you know? And And she kind of equated that to 18. So on year 18, she remembered that being such a tough year as well. And I said, it's when you achieve adulthood and it's when, you know, you're starting a new trade or going to college or starting a job, or there's a lot of things kids transition at 18. And so those milestone years can be really important. And not that every year isn't important, but sometimes the milestones um, can catch people off guard. And so I think when you come together in groups, it's when those conversations happen and parents can anticipate, you know, gosh, I remember that mom. I remember her saying that the year her child turned five, that she really struggled. And, you know, I need to think about what that's going to look like. Like, what can I do? to make the fifth birthday be different and kind of anticipatory planning. So I'm, you know, a lot of times people aren't as comfortable in groups, meaning that they don't like to sit in a circle and talk about their feelings. Sometimes people are not comfortable with that or, but I do think when you have events such as the bereaved mother's day, we also do a picnic in the fall this year, it'll be uh, in September. So that's all families and siblings and kind of come together. And I think when that happens is when those conversations come up or they meet another family and they share their story. Um, It really helps to validate where they're at and how they're feeling. And uh, so I, I love, um, I love doing events on the farm, but I really love when we can bring grieving families together 
and really kind of create a different story and help to reframe um, other families' stories, you know, help them reframe their grief and reframe and realize that it's, it's okay to not be okay. And there are people that understand that can genuinely say, I understand and I empathize with where you are, um, that also can share tools to say, this is what has worked for me. Um, this is what didn't work for me. And that has been so invaluable. You've touched on so many things that I think will really resonate with the audience listening to this. And it's clear that your years of experience working with bereaved parents is just coming through here and, and your wealth of um, understanding and empathy, and compassion and ability to help guide people through these difficult emotions is just really remarkable. And, and I think everything that you just shared will really, really sit with people and, and in a way that's supportive. So thank you. Well, and sometimes I feel it's the pass through, it's the pay it forward. You know, it's not that, that anyone has all this miraculous knowledge and knows exactly what you need as much as it is like you just listen and you learn and you kind of pay it forward to the next, the next family. Do you think too, in some of these events, in moments of silence, it's actually comfortable. That's something that I've noticed when there has been silence, because sometimes um, the silence when you're grieving is really uncomfortable, but when you're surrounding by, surrounded by people who have experienced journeys with grief, just knowing that you're in the presence of that shared experience, there's some comfort there. And so for those people who don't wanna talk, but just wanna be comfortable being present, that creates that atmosphere as well. Absolutely. I mean, silence is power and silence. I always hate when people feel like they have to fill the space. You know, that's usually when, and we always say like, always kind of have that elevator speech because you're going to meet people that are uncomfortable with the silence. And therefore they say some of the stupidest things. Um, you know, we always say one of these days we'll write the book of stupid, but you know, <laughs> and they mean well. I, I always say their hearts are in the right place, but their mouths just aren't. And they tr they want to be helpful, they want to be supportive, but they just say the absolute wrong thing. And so, so yeah, I think in, when you come together with like families. Um, I agree. I think that they're much more comfortable with silence because they kind of know what the other needs and they're okay with just being present. And, and I like when events come together that um, I always tell people, you know, when you come, if you're a family that loves, that are kind of the social butterflies and you love to interact and you love to talk to other families and you really want to share, there are other liked families like there that you absolutely will be able to connect with. If you are someone that likes to come and just kind of be in the shadows and listen and observe, but you're not as much of a sharer, if that's even a word, um, but you're just not, you want to take in the atmosphere, but you don't feel like talking. The events are always structured so that 
you absolutely have a space to do that. And it's why we purposefully don't really do a lot of structuring because that way it allows those folks to kind of sit in the back and and still take in and benefit from being around other folks, but they might overhear a conversation or, you know, or connect with someone maybe who's just as quiet as they are. And I think there's a lot of benefit to that as well. With that being said, in terms of things to say, things not to say, how to approach grief, if we shift a little bit towards healthcare providers specifically, there's some really unique experiences that they have when they are re-entering the workplace because many people deliver in the same hospital in which they work. And so if you were having a conversation um, with, say, a nurse or doctor um, at the end of maternity leave or medical leave or however they've termed their leave, what would you encourage them to do in terms of when they come back to work Um, if they have a trigger or dealing with people asking them about their loss, do you have any recommendations for that transition? So what other families, what other parents have said that we usually kind of share forward in in re-entering the workplace? I mean, first, I think to also say like, it's okay to do that gently, meaning that if, and not everyone's job Um, not everyone's employers are as supportive in this. Like sometimes you can't come back part-time. Like sometimes you have to come back to your regularly scheduled work. But if you have an option of saying like, you know, being able to kind of ease back into that environment can be really helpful. So kind of taking your time, there's not a rush. Some Folks will also say, though, there's something to normalcy. So sometimes people feel the need to get back to work because they want to feel that normal routine um, pace um, that they had kind of prior to their loss. Whichever person you might be, I guess sometimes you just got to name that and say like, and and, in couples, no two people grieve the same. Couples don't grieve the same. There may be one that feels like they're drawn to get back to work and there's another, the other one doesn't. So really kind of naming that and saying like, it's okay to be either is really important. What other parents, families have said that's been helpful in returning back to work is sometimes it's good to kind of send the message ahead. And you might choose a close colleague. You might choose your manager or your supervisor. Um, Only you know best who that person might be. But it will be someone that, that you, you know, trust to be able to deliver the message of what your expectations are in returning to work. There's usually two types of people. There's usually the type that says, when I come back to work and you see me in the halls or you pass me in the doorways, like it's okay to say, I'm sorry, I wish this were different. Can I offer you a hug? Like it's okay to kind of name that. Other folks say, I want work to be work. And so when I return to work, I don't want anyone bringing it up or telling me that they're sorry. I really just kind of want work to be. 
And both of those are, are totally fine. And what that does is it really sets up for your colleagues and those folks that work the closest with you. It helps to give them an expectation. If you and I were working together and I didn't know what you needed and I see you in the hall, I'm going to feel like, oh my gosh, there's Amy. What do I do? If I say something to her and I make her cry at work, that's going to be terrible. But if I don't say something to her, she's going to think I don't care. And I don't, and I want her to know I care. I just don't know what to say or do. So what happens is that usually like you either duck into another room or you turn and you get down the hallway, like you avoid, it's kind of like seeing someone at the grocery store and you skip that aisle and you get to the next aisle. And then what that creates is it begins to make the person feel like they recognize people are avoiding them, which only further isolates them. And you already feel isolated. You already feel alone in this loss. And so really kind of setting those expectations ahead of time is helpful for both. That way you will know kind of what to expect when you return to work. Your colleagues will kind of have an expectation as to how they should approach you when they see you. So it, it really, it really helps to give a little more confidence when returning to work. Now, I always say we all work with someone that we know will not follow the pattern. So it's always helpful to kind of have that elevator speech for that one person who, even though you said, I just want work to be work, still comes up and wants to kind of discuss that. So having an elevator speech um, ready will help. Being able to just give yourself permission to walk away okay to walk away that sends a message to can, can be really helpful because unfortunately not everybody that you work with will follow kind of the guidelines that you kind of set for yourself and and I think it's a good thing too that you know even in the best of circumstances there's going to be triggers um, we don't know what triggers us it could be a smell a sound a name a voice a tone the crinkling of paper, like it can be the simplest of things. So we don't always know what the triggers are, but we can be at work and something trigger us. And I think being able to kind of have that safe place that you can go to just regather and give yourself a few minutes of um, space. And that can be a little harder to find uh, in the workplace. I think in healthcare, it's definitely hard to find sometimes in the hospitals um, or clinics or wherever you may be working. You know, unfortunately, sometimes the bathroom can be a safe spot. It's not always the best spot, but sometimes it can be a safe spot. But I think kind of identifying a place where you can go that no one will step into that, that you can just like gather yourself for, for a little bit and give yourself a chance you know, if it's tears, if it's anger, you know, whatever that looks like, giving yourself permission to, to have that moment. Some people have the buddy system too at work. You know, you have that really close colleague that just knows and knows your, you can give them the sign and they can kind of be the person that steps in for you or that like says, listen, let's go grab a coffee. We're going to step outside for a few minutes. Or, um, you know, again, it can be hard in a work day, you know, when you're really busy, especially as healthcare providers, our schedules are usually really tight and we're working very short staff these days. So that part can be really hard. 
but they can be, those are just some little suggestions that you can, can do at work. And I think healthcare providers, I think we are a beast all of our own because we have these expectations of ourselves that are much higher than the normal person. Um, I think because we're working in healthcare, we feel like we should have known we should we should be in control of our emotions. Some of that comes from our training. You know, you're trained to like come in, get the job done, you put the face on, and then you move on to the next patient. So that can really be a barrier in your own grief because you feel like you shouldn't be having this emotion or you shouldn't be feeling like that, or you should be able to return to work and just be this you know, strong, I hate the word strong, <laughs> I really do. Um, but we feel like we should be able to just step back in and um, control our emotions because some of that comes from our training. Sometimes we can be harder on ourselves than, and not give ourselves that permission that I think a lot of other folks will do better. And you're stepping back into, just as you described, you're stepping back in sometimes to the very institution where your loss happened. So simply walking into the lobby, walking, I mean, if you happen to need to go back onto that same floor, if you pass the room that was your room, like all of those are significant triggers. I had a, a mom one time say, simply pulling into the parking lot, she wanted to vomit, just pulling into the parking lot, you know, so I think it, I think it's a lot harder when we're healthcare providers. And I think we have to give ourselves latitude and be gentle with ourselves and name kind of what that looks like. I've known other nurses to go switch jobs and work other areas because they just couldn't be on the same floor. And then later, years later came back, but we got to give ourselves permission. We have to allow ourselves to pivot. Sometimes pivots can be restorative, can be an act of self-care. And I think coming, you know, through the last couple of years with the pandemic, we are now finally starting to have conversations about self-care and that it is okay to start putting some boundaries in our lives with work to create space for that self-care. And grieving is exhausting. It is so emotionally and physically exhausting. And so in the culture that we're in, of you know, we're trying to get the backlog of you know, surgical patients into the OR and take care of them after surgery. You know, we're trying to get the mammograms done that have been put on hold because a lot of preventative health care kind of put on hold until people thought it was safer to go back into the hospital or the clinics to get care, that sort of thing. And so with the demand from the patients wanting the care and us getting texts, you know, can you please come in on your day off or can you extend your shift two hours to help cover the evening or, you know, new incentives to um, see more patients in your clinic, you know, to meet your RVUs or, you know, whatever it is. I think it's a really important to start saying it's okay to say no. And it's okay to say, no, this is where my boundary is. I'm going to maintain it because I need to take care of myself because in the long term, if I don't, you're not going to have me. And I hope that any employer or manager 
who hears this understands that investing in the short-term time of self-care and giving a, a healthcare provider time off and then not pushing them when they come back in. And I'm, I'm talking like, give them a good year because that year of first and all those milestones, the milestones will never end, but that first year, there's so many milestones in that first year to give that person a, a solid year of not asking them to keep doing more is I think really important to give permission to anybody out there who's in this situation. It's okay to say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. To say no. And boundaries are so important, you know, and I think, you know, that's another thing in healthcare. We're not like you just described, we're not good at setting boundaries. You know, the next person texts, the next person calls and you went into healthcare. Why? Because you wanted to help because you wanted to support people because you want to make people better. So that compassion and passion you have in your heart for helping people overrides the boundary for self-care. And so it's really hard to do that. And I think in grief, you know, when you now have experienced this loss and you're still in this same situation, um, boundaries are just so very important, but they're so hard. They're easy to talk about, but they're very hard to do. And and you're right. That first year has a lot of firsts. It's really, you know, you, I, I have talked to families within two or three weeks of their loss and they're like, no, like I've had some good days. I've had some bad days, but overall I feel like I'm doing okay. And you might talk to them again or see them again at at four months and they're like, well, you know, I'm still having good days and bad days, but overall I feel like I'm doing okay. And by month six to eight months, you know, say, you know what, I'm really struggling. And, and I think it's because we do try to get back into life quickly. Life sweeps us back up. We live in a world that's just fast paced. And, and we aren't always giving ourselves that space that we kind of need, you know, now there are two kind of, you know, well, there's more than two, but at least different ways of kind of grieving and processing. Now you, now there are folks that process best by being busy and by doing, and I think that's an important part to, to really kind of, um, kind of highlight here is because I hear so many times people say, oh my gosh, they just dove back into work because they just really didn't want to think about it. If they're not working, then they're just a mess. And so it's just better if they just kind of keep on working, then they don't have to think about it. That's not really true. So the truth is, you know, when you're a person who's more emotive, meaning that like you've got to stay in constant um, action, it's because that's how you process best. You know, and I always use my husband and I as this example because we're two opposites when it comes to processing. You know, he is that person that's out on the farm and he's running the horses in and he's got to move the round bales and, oh, they're in. We might as well give them their haircuts and, and you know, give them, update them with their shots. And then, oh, yeah, we really need to move them around today. And he will just go until he literally like falls into bed at the end of the day where, I like the farm too. I like nature and I want to be outside, but I want the calm. I want to be able to go to the barn and mess with them a little bit, maybe brush on them, maybe do a little cleanup, maybe walk up into the field. But I want to take in like the sunshine, the breeze. (laughs) I want the calm. So 
we are two people that when there's a lot of stress happening or we've had crises in our life, took me a long time to figure that out. But I have to give him the space to do the chaos. If you bring me into that chaos, I will just come unglued. Likewise, if I made him come into my calm, he will come unglued because his energy is all built up and he has to release it in that way. So for people that you see, or for maybe it's your partner who is like, won't stop for two seconds and it's getting frustrating because you're like, does he even care? Is he even really grieving? He doesn't even seem upset, you know, understand his pain or her pain is, is just as painful as yours, but their expression of that is just completely different. And so you got to give them the space to do what they need to do. So for my husband and I, I've got to give him that space and I've got to have the space to be in the quiet. And at some point we have to say to each other, like, okay, why don't you go do this at the barn? What a couple hours. Great then why don't we come together? Let's just watch a mindless movie tonight, maybe grab a pizza and just kind of be present, you know? And so sometimes you got to name that and then figure out a way that you can also be together as a couple. But that desire to get back to work and to be like filling your calendar, sometimes that's about processing. Sometimes you process best by being so active. So if you, if you are two people who are doing that differently, you know, you, you gotta, at some point name that because otherwise it feels bad. Otherwise it feels like, you know, you don't care for some reason or your partner doesn't care for some reason when they care very deeply. So I think naming that. So appreciate you bringing that up because I think that having marital friction post loss is really common. And I think a lot of that is because each person is grieving differently and not understanding that it's okay to grieve differently and recognizing that that is causing some of the friction. So maybe the mom is like, you just, I carried the baby and you know, you don't understand what I'm going through physically or, you know, whatever that discord can really strain a relationship and how important it is to recognize that. Yeah. I had a husband one time who called back. This has been a, a, few years now. And he called and he said, I think there's something wrong with me. And I was like, okay, well, tell, tell me more. And he said, well, like I see my wife, she's, she's crying and she's tearful. And he said, the tears don't come for me. Like I haven't really cried. And so he began to worry, like, was there, was there something wrong with him? You know? And I think There's probably a lot of men and few women that have that same experience where, you know, you tend to be more emotive on the inside than you do on the outside. And so in talking with him, and I so appreciated him calling him calling and really so that you can really kind of name that because he hadn't really talked to his wife about it. He just felt like there's got to be something wrong with me. Like I'm sad, you know, we lost our daughter and I'm so sad, but like, the tears just aren't coming. So helping him to understand that his tears may all be on the inside. Tears don't equate grief and being able to just name that and say like, it's okay that your tears don't come. And there may be a day that they do. And it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm worse or, 
or I've had this like backslide, you know, people describe, it's just that, you know, there may be a day that that happens. And so I think for two people who are in a different place, they're not only grieving differently, but they're outwardly grieving differently too. And, and kind of being able to kind of name that. And men tend to be usually a little more silent. You know, men don't always like to talk quite as much. And, and I think in healthcare, you know, depending on what role you have, that can make that even worse. So having an outlet, encouraging time, maybe spent outside, or, you know, if you're recognizing that in your partner, like, making some suggestions, like, why don't you go fishing? You love fishing. Why don't you go fishing with so-and-so this weekend? Or, you know, just kind of suggesting those tasks because task-oriented things tend to bring conversation out. So sometimes those activities can be be really helpful too. But yeah, I think acknowledging that you are grieving differently so that it doesn't get, you know, because in truth, losses will bring people together. People used to think that losses, you know, created division and and created um, marital problems. And they will, if you don't communicate and say, this is how I'm feeling. And it's okay that you're feeling the way you are, you know, and I just like this husband, I encourage him. I'm like, you know, talk to your wife about it. Like, just say, you know, I'm feeling this in my heart, you know, and I, and I wish it was on the outside, but how I'm feeling is on the inside. And I'm recognizing that see your tears every day and, and that's okay. You know, how can we process this together and, and realize that we're, our pain is the same, you know, what we're feeling is the same. We're just expressing it very differently. To take the the topic of, you know, processing and we all process it differently. Can we shift to the person who is numbing the pain? Because I think work can numb the pain, but we also use food and a glass of wine that turns into two or three glasses of wine each night and becomes a nightly habit or, you know, any other kind of things that distract us, whether it's constantly being on social media or watching reality TV. So we're not thinking and processing our pain. We're just numbing it with things Mm -hmm. um, or substances to the person who feels like they don't have the tools and resources to acknowledge the pain and they're just numbing it. And they now are recognizing that their grief patterns and and the way they're dealing with it are, are maybe not serving them. Whether you recommend therapy or some other course, can you speak to that as well? Yeah, I would definitely, um, sometimes folks who are in that numbing phase aren't always the ones that recognize it as much as those that are close to you. Sure. So I think that, you know, while we talked about earlier, people say some of the stupidest things, I think also kind of if you're having those friends or, or your partner or someone saying like, gosh, like, I just feel like, you know, you're, you're having a couple glasses, you know, of Jack every night and, you know, whatever that, that numbing that you're having doing, um, I think really kind of recognizing that and, and being aware of that, having some self-awareness is extremely important. And I, you know, I definitely would, would say like those, um, it's fine if you're grieving in healthy ways, but those are becoming very unhealthy ways. And those 
absolutely, you need, you know, a safe, neutral place. Therapy is always my go-to. I think in the world, we don't do enough therapy. Every single one of us needs a good therapist in our life. And and I think that, that um, while those resources I know have been very overwhelmed during COVID, but I think it's important to tap into those resources so that that is a regular, consistent um, place, neutral place that you can begin to get some tools so that you can begin to unnumb and begin to process in very healthy ways. Because when you're numbing, you're really kind of putting, um, I always like the analogy, like you're just putting it in a pretty little box and you put a little bow on it and you set it on a shelf in the back of your mind somewhere. And so you feel like, okay, I'm doing all right because I'm still going to work and I'm still doing all the things I should, but you're also developing these other habits that can be very unhealthy. And at some point, a trigger especially a trigger, an event, a situation is going to blow the top of that box off and it's going to come out in even very more unhealthy ways than, than maybe what you're currently doing. So being able to kind of name that, catch that and say like, let me, let me go where I can begin to get the tools that I need. That can be really hard for healthcare providers. I think again, because of our training, because of We've been conditioned to just keep going at whatever cost. So I think sometimes when we name that, it makes us feel like we're weak. <laughs> Again, it's why I hate that word strong and weak because, you know, we're not weak. We're parents, we're humans, and we have this really emotion that we're not expected to handle better just because we wear a healthcare hat. I think it's really hard for healthcare providers to really tap into to resources that we can begin to kind of build those tools. Uh, there was a mom a while back and, and she really was so resistant and she had a couple other children. And I said, if you, if you can't do it for you, do it for your other children because they deserve the best of you and the tools that you will gain, you will model for your children, which is a gift that most people don't get at a young age. I would say to those who feel like, not just feel like they're numbing because there's, there is a numbing that happens. That's just the trauma and the reaction to the grief. But when you know that you're numbing and you recognize that you now are participating in things that can be very unhealthy that it's extremely important to kind of tap into those resources. Now, there are folks that talk about they've been in kind of a numbing or the other, the other uh, analogy people will use is that I've been in a fog. I feel like I've been in the fog. And now that the fog is beginning to lift, I'm feeling more. There was recently a dad who shared he'd been in this fog for probably like six months, like he was in a fog. He was functional. He was back to work. People around him weren't really recognizing, but he felt like he was in this fog. And he said, now that the fog is beginning to lift, those things that I was doing that were bringing me peace are now not bringing me peace. And one of those things was music. He was using music 
to help remember his son. And now the music, he could hardly have it on. I think there's a process where there is some numbing and some fog that is normal grieving, but it's the activities that you're doing around that that can be very unhealthy. And if they're unhealthy, it's extremely important to kind of get tapped into some good resources, good folks who can just help you with the tools and, and support you differently. That I think is really important to have these conversations about all aspects of grieving. So as we kind of wrap up the conversation, is there any parting thoughts that you have? I, we've covered so many different things, everything from Butterfly Angels and Valley View Farm, which is your beautiful space. And then discussing some of these things will hopefully serve healthcare professionals as they are you know, navigating their careers and relationships and their well-being. Any other thoughts that you have that you want to share? Um, I think just the fact that folks are listening to a podcast and they've listened clear to the end says that they have an interest in this topic, whether that be personally, professionally, or otherwise. And so I, you know, really also want to say like there's, there are resources there, like, you know, so tap into them, bring networking opportunities together where people can learn and understand more. You know, I feel so blessed to be able to have our farm be a space. And, and I owe that a lot to, uh, to Josh, who not only physically helped to renovate a lot of things, but emotionally and just as a friend has been so supportive to that. And, and without that, the ministry would never have come. It, it would never have existed. And, you know, I, I, I'm just very grateful for all of that, but I'm grateful to those who would be listening to this podcast and just say, you know, I'm always happy to meet for coffee or, or an iced tea. I had someone say, well, I really don't do coffee. I'm like, all right, well then pick your favorite, uh, (laughs) favorite drink. Um, and, and we can absolutely sit and have a conversation, but I'm always happy to just kind of gather whether that be just one-on-one or it's in a group of us to just really kind of talk and support each other differently. You know, I, I would just say, you know, I just am grateful and honored for the families that I have met and those that have taught me, because I certainly have not developed some kind of great knowledge. I have learned from the families that I have served, and I'm very blessed for every single one of them. And for them teaching me that there may be a dark corner ahead, but there can be a light around that corner that just really helps and supports you. And so uh, for that, I'm, I'm very blessed. Christy. I don't know what to say other than thank you. Thank you for everything that you've shared today on this podcast, for the work that you and your family do at Valley View Farm, allowing people to have everything from weddings to celebrations of life in the barn. Thank you for sharing revenue that you receive from those events with Butterfly Angels so that people in the Waynesburg, Pennsylvania community and surrounding areas can get financial support when they find themselves grieving the loss of a baby or child. And also thank you for supporting my family when we were grieving the loss of our daughter. And thank you for this opportunity as well, Amy. It is my pleasure, Christy. 
every time I get to share some space and conversation with Christy, I learned something new. And I hope that today's podcast provided you some support. For those of you who are in the Western Pennsylvania or the central northern part of West Virginia, and you're thinking about having a wedding or an anniversary party or even a celebration of life, New Farm, it is just a gorgeous setting. The venue is beautiful, unique, and will definitely help you create a long lasting memory. By bringing your event to the farm, you are also helping to support Butterfly Angels, which is a bereavement organization in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, supporting families who've lost a baby or child. There are quite a few links in the show notes to Valley View Farm, Butterfly Angels, even the book we talked about briefly, It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. Hopefully those are resources that will help you If you would like to support this podcast, there's also a link in the show notes to do that. If you would like a free ebook, which is a guide after pregnancy and infant loss, and would like to receive email updates from Pause to Remember, please find the link in the show notes as well. If you've made it this far in the podcast, I just want to say a big thank you for sharing some time with both Christy and myself. I look forward to sharing some more with you here.